This is Susanna Hills Podcast. We hope this message becomes a revelation in your heart and will encourage you to live a Christ-centered life. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Here's today's message. I, I find so many believers that when I listen to how they explain their own life and their kind of view of, of, of the Christian walk, the way they express it, there's so many things that they, they just, I'm like, I wonder, have you ever read this thing? Have you seen what it actually says? about this Christian life, this life of power, this life of empowerment, this life of, of sharing. We see the, the book of Acts early on, the disciples would get together daily to pray, to fellowship. We would see them proclaiming the gospel. They, we would see them praying and asking God to be empowered by his Holy Spirit over and over again. We see multitudes coming to know Jesus. We see cities Turn upside down because people chose to believe the message of who Jesus was. Many of them had seen him, touched him, experienced him. But as time continued and as this message began to spread, we see how some extraordinary things begin to happen in the life of the believers. And it's amazing for me to see that, you know, things, things were going really well for the, for the early church first few chapters of, of, of Acts, but then at one point they hit a bit of a snag, a bit of a, well, we're South African, so we understand this, a bit of a racial issue arose, a fairness issue, you know, who was privileged, who wasn't privileged, who was entitled to certain things and who wasn't, who could eat when we got together, and how much were they allowed to eat? Don't know if you've ever come to church and you know you've, it's a bring and share meal and now you've brought your thing to share and someone arrives and they brought nothing, but they eat all of your food. You're laughing because you, I'm sure we're like, it's my KFC. It's my little bits of eats. What's, what's up with this? You, you, you're infringing upon my rights. You're taking advantage of me. Years ago, we started our, what we do now on Sundays, our HQ gatherings. And what we chose to do was because our volunteers, those of you that serve, you come here early on the Sunday morning to set everything up and get everything ready. And because that's what you do, we as a church felt that only the best and the right thing to do, that we would provide something to snack on when you arrive. So in the early days of our HQ, those of you that can remember, you, you got a yogurt and a banana and a biscuit and a rusk and a muffin and I don't know what else. It was like a whole breakfast. But I remember there was sometimes those moments of like, you're not serving, but you're eating. You're not in my community. You're not, what's happening here? And I remember there was a family that came guy by the name of Bernard, he was from Ghana. And one day I had a cup of coffee with, with Bernard and asked him, Bernard, how did you come to our church? First of all, you're Ghanaian. You're in English, we're an English church, predominantly white. But we're, where we're located, we're right across the street from Pinar's Dorp when we were there at Pretty Hotel. I asked him, well, how did you get to us? He said to me, no, Gareth, I've, I've tried to visit a few churches, and then someone that stays close to me said to me, a lady said to me, listen, you've got to go to this church. That's just down up the road. He was living just a few streets down. Him, 
and his wife, three kids in a two and a half by three meter room in Pinochdorp. Next door, there's a, a pimp operating with some prostitutes. There's drug abuse happening. You guys would understand Pinochdorp. That's the reality in that area. And he had come to this country, lost everything, was kind of conned out of a lot of his money and made some bad decisions. And now as a foreigner was left destitute in, in that way. Just one room with him and his three kids, with his wife. But they started coming to Sirion Hill. And they found out that if they came a little bit earlier, there would be some snacks available. He would never eat of those snacks. His children would always enjoy some of that. And he said to me, you know, Gareth, many times that banana, bit of yogurt, that muffin, was the only meal my children had had in three days. And my heart broke because I, I found myself at times standing there at HQ going, you're not serving. You're making a mess. You're eating my food. You're eating everybody else's food. It's not for you. No, actually, it's for everyone. The book of Acts had the same scenario. The Jewish believers were being taken care of. The, the widows were being the food was being distributed to them. It says that they had no lack because they were willing and able to take care of one another's needs. They were in a community. But then it says that a complaint arose amongst the Hellenistic Jews. That's, those are the Greek-speaking Jews. The ones that had, were, in a sense, half-caste. They weren't allowed. They were, they were different. And then they were like, listen, I mean, we're, I, I thought we were one body. We were here for, for the gospel. What's happening? And then the disciples, the, the apostles came together. They said, listen, in uh, Acts chapter 6, verse uh, 3, it says, Therefore, they said, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, to whom we will appoint to do this duty of distributing the food. These seven men, incidentally, were all Greek-speaking Jews. But they were now entrusted by all of these Jewish purebred disciples to distribute and to handle this issue, which was initially a race issue, initially a culture, a class issue. Friends, if we want to live a life that's extraordinary, we've got to learn and be willing to be stretched by God to embrace more of what he has for you. But what's interesting is these seven men, that are, are accounted. There are, are two of them that I want to just touch on this morning. I mean, their names are there. They're all Greeks. And, and it's the reason why these men were set, set in place was so that they could take care of this very practical reality. So that the apostles, the elders of the, new, of the Jerusalem church could give themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, the proclamation, training, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We've been in this journey of gifted. And Friends, you come into this church, you come into this setting, and there are many practical, specific things that need to be handled. And I want to encourage you, and I hope that this has been the message you've been getting through this gifted series, is that if God has gifted me, then there's something I can do about it. There's something I can give myself to in order to bring God glory and honor, because these gifts are not for myself, they're for the kingdom. And then... 
these two men, Philip and Stephen, are mentioned. They are the, one of the first two that are mentioned. Now, if there was ever a, a rock band that would, would have, have been formed from these seven guys, it would be, you know, Stephen and Philip and the five magnificent Okies, but we don't really hear about them for the rest of the book. It's amazing for me how when God puts us in to place to do a particular task, often we just go unnoticed. At some point, someone lays hands on you and, and they say you're commissioned for this job and then nobody ever sees what else you do. When you've come into the body, God wants you and I to be activated by him in that way. We see Stephen being the first martyr. He's a deacon. He's someone that this is the qualification that he carries, him and Philip. It says, pick from among you seven men of what? Good repute. Good reputation. Full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Friends, you and I, if we want to accomplish all that God has called us, if we want to live that extraordinary life, we need to trust God that we would grow and have a good reputation amongst those within our body and especially with those who are outside of our body. Friends, that's our testimony. That's where it starts. It doesn't start with, yes, hallelujah, praise Jesus, you know, I can do all of these things, I, I pray for the sick, I intercede three hours a week. I, those things are important, but we must be mindful of how we interact with people on the outside. But then we need to also find ourselves in a place like these men, that they were full of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to share, I'm going to sh just look at a few aspects I think that are really going to help us. And if you today are, have not experienced the infilling of the Holy Spirit, I'm trusting that today you'd be able to experience that. The Holy Spirit empowering you, giving you supernatural ability, that extraordinary ability to fulfill the ministry that God has placed upon you. It also says that they were full of wisdom. Which means, I believe, wisdom, what is wisdom? Wisdom is knowledge put into practice. It's the ability to understand some things and then also act upon it. There has to be an activation. Too many Christians I know within church, they, they know a lot of stuff. They can tell me all about it. But I'm like, just can you maybe live it? When, when I was in Poch, it was amazing. I could sp spend time with these theologians and intellectuals and academics one guy actually said to me, you know, Gareth, you're not an intellectual. Um, and I was like, okay, I don't know, really know what you mean by that. But he's like, um, you don't read the thick books. So I was like, okay, great. I'm not an academic. That's actually what you, what you mean. But, but many of us are not in that space where, and sometimes we can live so much in our heads that we don't actually ever live anything. But some of us, I believe in this room today, you feel like you have a block against learning and growing and I want to encourage you that you need to grow in wisdom and the way you grow in wisdom is by increasing the knowledge that you have so therefore we need to be people of God's Word studying it placing ourselves in an environment where we can grow where we can learn where we can be discipled that we would be able to express this you see friends when when these men were set in place with this type of reputation with this type of um, you know character it says a very interesting thing, verse 7. And the word of the Lord God continued to increase 
And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This morning, Sharif just shared with us about as persecution and oppression came upon the people of Israel, they multiplied. In the same sense, this is exactly what God does in the very next verse, we see persecution happen within the church. God wants to bring us to let us see that the hardships that you and I face, He prepares us beforehand, He fills us with His Spirit, He empowers us by, with knowledge so that we can have wisdom, that our reputation with outsiders would be important and intact, so that when persecution comes, we're ready to bring God's kingdom in all of its forms. Most of chapter 7 basically is a, is a, is a is a sermon that's, that Stephen preaches. And I'm, I'm looking at this sermon. I don't know if you've ever read that, that sermon. But I'm like, sure, Stephen, you really understood. He, he unpacks it from like pretty much from Abraham, Adam right down to Christ and explains to the religious leaders who Jesus was, what he came to do, and why it has been fulfilled to the fullest extent what Christ has done for us. But then as a result of this proclamation, he gets stoned with stones okay some of you missed that one <laughs> it, it was at a rock concert I'm sorry <laughs> he experiences persecution to the extent of actually giving up his life and many of us today you sitting here and you're thinking please Lord Jesus that that never happened to me but many of us are, are afraid to put our reputations on the line. To even sometimes just say to our employer, listen, I, I know you, you're scheduling me in on these days, but I need to get to the people of God. Can I work in the extra time because I've got to get to a light group this week. I've got City Lights half time at 6 o'clock on the Tuesday, prayer time with the saints. I'm going to make the time. I'm going to switch off my phone. I'm going to build. I'm going to carve out the time. But then this, the next story begins to unfold in, in chapter 8 of Acts. We see Philip, who is probably by far my most favorite New Testament character. Obviously, besides Paul and some of the other guys. But, but here's a man who is ordinary. He's just like, he's amongst the believers and as he's faithfully serving, giving himself, expressing his gift, God recognizes that gift upon his life. He gets released as a deacon, which is basically servant. That's what the word means, is to serve, to diakonos, is to serve. And so some of us in our, in our church, you know, history, we think, okay, the deacons, they're the ones that come in before the Dermony, and they sit in a specific seat, and they, they're the guys that, I don't know, like, that's not quite what it means. I know the expression is... is maybe you know missed but the idea is that those who would deacon are the ones that would serve but then we see this thing happen this persecution happen in the church pressure gets applied and actually for the first time the disciples begin to fulfill the great commission jesus said wait in jerusalem till my spirit is poured out upon you so that you can be what empowered equipped to be my witnesses, where? In Jerusalem, okay, first one. Judea, okay, they were doing a little bit of that around. But there's Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. 
But they had just basically been preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. So God uses the persecution, and this is what we see as wars happen, as pressures we have happen in all over the world. God creates opportunities for the gospel to spread. And so Stephen gets stoned, persecution happens, and Philip then arises. And it says in, in verse 8 of chapter uh, of verse 8 of verse 4 of chapter 8 it says now those who were scattered went about preaching the word philip went down to the city of samaria and proclaimed to them the christ and the crowds were with one accord paid attention to what was being said by philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were pa paralyzed or lame were healed. And then verse 8. So there was much joy in that city. Is there much joy in our city? Let's bring it, bring it, yeah, bring it here a little bit. Is there much joy in our city? Why do we not see much joy? Because we're missing some of the verses beforehand. Some of the things the believers did, all of the believers, as they were scattered, it says, Philip, they, they, they speak about Philip, but they're actually speaking about all the believers as they went, did what? They began to preach the word. What is that word? The gospel, the story of Jesus, unpacking what the, the New Testament, I mean, at the time, they didn't even have the New Testament. They had the testimony of the apostles, they had the Old Testament, and very importantly, they had the Holy Spirit inside of them. Friends, you and I have the whole deal today. We have the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Holy Spirit. We've got one another. We've got 2,000 years plus of church history. We've got so much available to us, yet there isn't joy in our city. Because I believe we're not preaching. We're not preaching. Now we see Philip preaching to a crowd. And that's why gatherings like this is important. And every single Sunday... When you and I gather, I believe there has to be a proclamation of the gospel and an invitation. And we're going to have that today. And we will continue to have that. Because I believe God wants to bring in those lost and hurting. Those who have, today you've perhaps walked in here. And you're like, my life has got no joy. I'm oppressed by the enemy. My circumstances, life has clapped me six love. And I need to be set free and today I believe God is able to do that for you but friends for those of us that have had that encounter we've got to be preaching we've got to be preaching to the multitudes we've just heard Ronka share with us about going into Mozambique preaching the gospel and there are saints there now that are having to figure out some things to let go of some things I'm amazed at at how we sometimes think, okay, now I've got to go to evangelism class. And then once I've got my thing, and then I must sort of start off with something. And then eventually at some point, I'm going to share with someone the gospel. You know, I, I started cutting my hair with a Bangladeshi barber. Because all my Afrikaner friends told me, Slaps you around a bit. It's really nice. It's my one little treat in the, in the month. But I've been going to that barber every single time I need to cut my hair. I drove through from Poch to Clarkstorp to continue cutting my hair with him. 
because I've been praying for him that he would come to know Jesus. Because in his barber shop, he's got all of his, I don't know, he's a bit confused. There's lots of different things happening there. I think he's trying all his cards, you know. Maybe something's going to happen. But there's many people like that. They might not be different to you and I in our culture, in our experience, in our expression, in our history. But they're just as far from God. Friends, God wants us to be reaching out to them. To pay a price to reach out to them, to love them, to care for them. To pray for them. Friends, do you know, do you know why we see God move? Even this morning, I mean, I'm playing drums there, and, and honestly, what I heard in my ears and what you guys heard was probably worlds apart. But I could sense God's presence, despite power failures and all sorts of distractions. Because it's not about those things. It's about the fact that we come together with the living God. God wants to meet with us. And when we, we see these manifestations, this, these moments of God setting people free, people coming to know Jesus, growing in, in their faith, because we as a church have a very high value for prayer. We have a great intercessory team that meets on a Thursday at 6 o'clock here at this building to pray. There's WhatsApp groups, our communities. For those of you that don't know what our communities are, some of you perhaps have gone through difficult times in your life, even in the last season, and wondered, where was the church when I was sick? Where was the church when I, when I was going through a difficult time, when I was lost my job and I didn't have money and I, I couldn't be cared for? The reason why perhaps the church missed you is because you're not in a light group. A small group that gets together because right now you're all sitting in a row. You're looking at me. But at some point you and I need to come into a circle where we can look at each other in the eyes and say, what need do you have? What's happening in your life? I haven't seen you in a while. What's happening? I'm still following up with people that I had a relationship with years ago. I'm still texting them from time to time. How are you doing? What's happening in your life? Because I have a relationship with them. Friends, if you're not in a light group, then you're missing out on something of what God wants to do in and through us. But also, all of our, our, our light groups combined, some of them, five, six, seven of them combined together to create a community, which is a bit of a bigger group of people. They serve here on a Sunday. When you arrive here and you like the coffee and the kids' ministries operating in the car parks in place, those are communities that are serving. And within that community, the broader sense, our needs are being met and cared for and taken care of. And we can grow and there's your gifts can be, begin to operate. So I want to ask you, if you're not in a life group and you've been missing out and you've felt like you've disconnected, get in a life group. Be, become part of a community that God would be able to use you because, friends, when we pray together in our communities, every week on a Friday, there's a 24-hour prayer that happens. Those of you that, are, that know church history, many of you would know a man by the name of Charles Finney, one of the great American evangelists, was responsible for, for preaching to millions of people just about. Not as many as, as Billy Graham, but certainly made a massive impact in the world. And what Charles Finney did is, Every time they would come into a city to preach the gospel, he had one man, Father Nash, 
who would pitch up two weeks before the crusade would come into town. He would rent a little room somewhere. Sometimes it would just be a dusty old attic somewhere because there was no space. And he would find one or two other friends and they would pray. Often he never attended any of the big crusades or revival meetings that would happen because he was in prayer, fervently praying that God would powerfully move in that city. If you and I want to see joy in our city, we've got to be a praying people. We've got to be a people that are serving and loving one another. We've got to be a people that are filled with God's Spirit. Because as we do that, we see this in, happen in, in, in chapter 8. As we begin to live out our faith, we see that the darkness starts to flee. We see that people were set free from unclean spirits. Deliverance was being taken place. We also see those who would want to take advantage of the gospel. It was later on it speaks about this man, Simon the sorcerer, the magician, who checked things out. He was of a higher reputation. He could, he could make some things happen. I mean, we see this in, in the book of Exodus. When there's some magicians, they could do all the, the things that, that Moses could do. So those things, there's power in the world that we live in. Power of darkness is real. But the real, authentic, truthful, and ultimate, all-powerful sense of God coming into the city happens when you and I are yielded to Jesus. And we see how the gospel begins to be preached. And all of Samaria... That city is turned upside down. And this is what I love. Those of us that have a passion and a desire to proclaim the gospel, to be evangelists, as Philip is referred to as Philip the evangelist, we also have Philip the apostle, the two different people. For those of you that sometimes read it and you're like, wait a minute, I thought this was another guy. It was another guy, not the same guy. <laughs> so when we think, when we look at, at Philip, he's this evangelist. He's someone that proclaims the gospel. He goes from the, the body of believers. But when God begins to gather a crowd together, he's like, listen, I must send help to my friends in Jerusalem. The elders, the apostles in Jerusalem hear about what's happening in Samaria and they send from them Peter and John to come in to equip the saints for the work of ministry. They begin to teach the disciples, and as they're teaching them, they're also laying hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. Because as Philip was, was preaching, he just simply preached the gospel, but those people needed to be established in their faith. There is something about a partnership that happens between those of us that are sent out and those of us that are maybe sometimes left behind to build and to grow things. I'm amazed. The Apostle Paul goes into different regions. He goes into Thessalonica. He's there for three Sabbaths. That's like three weeks, ne? And within that time, he leaves. He preaches the gospel. There's some, some saints get together. They're all like filled with the Spirit. They're there. And then they go. But does Paul leave them like that? No. He writes them letters and he says, I'm sending you Epaphras. I'm sending you this person. They get, they, Titus is going to encourage you. This person is going to establish you in the faith. So for us, friends, two things need to happen. We need to continually proclaim the gospel and we need to be in partnership with a body of believers. In our modern day, we would probably think of it as an apostolic team or some people that we can call upon that can help establish the work so that you and I can be effectively empowered by God. Because when we see that, we see the, the work of God, not only just being a little plant that's growing, but actually begins to 
um, outworked. That's what we saw this. Now, it's just in, in, in Mozambique with Ronke then. They went in January, found a bunch of believers, encouraged them, said we were coming back. Then they brought a team again, continued to impact them and, and empower them. Now, that's gonna, we're going to go again, and we're going to go again, and we're going to go again. And every time we go, we'll see God's been added, God's grown that community. That's how you and I have joy in the city. That's how God begins to unfold his gospel. Now, this is amazing reality. Philip preaches the gospel to a crowd, and the crowds become to know. And many of us, when we think of evangelism or an evangelist, the evangelist is in town. What happens? Miracle crusade, poof, 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 music's happening, big crowd. You know, once the crowd's there, okay, the, okay let's now hoy the gospel. People get, to, get saved. Ronald Bonker, th- those guys, we, we, those are the pictures that come to mind. And many of you here today say, would say, well, I'm not an evangelist because I can never stand up front here. I could never speak in front of thousands and millions of people and proclaim the gospel to them. I've got very good news for you. Because the next few verses, in verse 26, we see Philip actually has an encounter with someone. It's amazing. He is preaching the gospel in Samaria. He's having a great time. God's doing great things. But then the Holy Spirit says to him, go down. It says... Now, or the, an angel, verse 26, now, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down to, from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So he received an angelic encounter, saying, I need to go. I've spent some time with people that have had those moments. They've, like, they've gone, I've come here because God said I must be here. And then it says, and he arose and went. Friends, when last did God tell you to go somewhere? In my case, my my barber. I felt God say, go to this barber. This is the person you need to connect with. Who in your life at the moment do you feel, even now, God saying, hey, I need to go there? Because as he went, he meets this Ethiopian eunuch. Now, this man, just a bit of a a background. I've got to just unpack this. This is amazing for me to see. This eunuch had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, according to the tradition, he was a eunuch, so he, he, he worked, worked in the queen's um, court. And because of his situation and his background, he was never allowed to go into to worship in the temple as, as normal. He had to remain in the outer courts. That's why when Jesus creates the the, the, the whip in the outer courts and he sees the money changers. The reason why he gets upset is not because they're selling stuff. Some people think, oh, they, it's because so now we sell stuff here in the coffee shop. We shouldn't do that, you know. It's like, no, Jesus got upset because his house would be a house of prayer for all nations. And this outer court had now been turned into a place which said to outsiders, you're not welcome. And if you want to get in, by the way, you've got to pay a price. You've got to buy something that's going to make you worthy to at least in some way please God. And so often, even in the church, we look at people and we're like, yes, jump through this, do this, do this, go to this thing. That, and then once you've done that, once you've done all of those things, you're welcome to come in. This eunuch was not allowed to enter into 
a place of worship. He could not have someone teach him. That's why he had gotten hold of the scroll of Isaiah. And he's reading it aloud. And the Spirit says to, to Philip, go closer that you would be able to hear. In verse 29, go over and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah and the prophet. And did what? Asked. Do you understand what you are reading? So Philip comes into alongside this man, and all he does is he asks some questions. Friends, if you want to be effective in your evangelism, your sharing of your faith, all you need to do is ask some questions. Ainsley is a master, like at this. I've I've sat in the car with her with strangers, so many times. And then I'm amazed at how much people are willing to share with her about their life, what they're going through, what's happening, even hurts from long ago. And I'm thinking, how do you do that? I just, we just met this person and they're telling you like some very deep things. And many times, we, I remember sitting on a plane, flying back from America, next to an, an Indian gentleman who was a, a Hindu. And he just continued to unpack his whole life story to Ainsley, the whole flight. And he numerous times was like, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I've never told anybody this. And as we prayed for him, he was like, yes, there's some, there's some power. It's like when you guys are like, because he understands something of the spiritual realm. And all she does is just ask questions. How are you? What's happening? And how did that make you feel? And, 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 but tell me, explain, explain this to me. Just asking questions. Friends, our most powerful tool in our toolbox for evangelism is asking questions. You don't have to have any answers because you already have the the answer that you need. You've got Jesus. You've got the gospel. But you've got to give someone to a place where they can actually be willing to receive that. And that we get to by asking questions. Because for this man, we see him reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. And now next series stretch out that you received is going to be on this passage passage of the last section of chapter 52 right through to 55 we're going to be working through that for the next six weeks over easter as well i want to encourage you to go read that to really make this part of it he brings jesus into the equation you see friends he's listening to this man he's asking him questions but then there is a moment and many of us in our friendship evangelism, even for myself with my barber that I've been going to, I haven't yet had a moment where I would do what Philip does here in verse 35. It says, then Philip closed his mouth and went home. No, opened his mouth. And beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Friends, there is a moment and there has to come a moment where you and I open our mouths. For too long in the church, we would think about friendship evangelism as I'm going to build a relationship with someone and I build a relationship until they're ready to some maybe ask some questions. But friends, at some point, you and I need to open our mouths and say, listen, this is who Jesus is. A very good question that you and I can ask if you are wondering what to ask people is if you ask someone, what do you think Jesus is doing right now? Because most people, if they understand grammar, they'll like, is, 
is doing so, isn't he? Some people that believe he's dead and gone and is a sort of good teacher, you'll see where they're at. And if they, if they, if they believe that Jesus is alive and at work, then they'd be able to answer that question. What is Jesus doing? And that's the question that you and I should be asking. Jesus, what are you doing in this person's life? What do you want me to share? How do you want me to present this gospel to them? How can you and I express that in effective ways? Friends, God wants us to be able to proclaim the gospel when we go on outreaches and bigger gatherings. But he especially wants us to be in step with the Spirit. That's all that Philip did. It's amazing that as he proclaimed the gospel, and every single time the gospel was proclaimed in the New Testament, we see the person repenting, someone praying with them, and then they get baptized in water. And this man, is his, that's his next logical step. He's like, well, so what's the, there's some water here. We're in the desert, it says, but God now makes some water available for this man, who Philip is never going to see again, to be baptized in water right there. And too many believers, they've been following Jesus for years and years, and they have not been baptized in water. Now the baptism, friends, is obviously not a means to be saved. It doesn't change my standing with God, but it does change my relation to what God wants to do in and through my life. Because God, the currency that God works on is obedience. God wants us to entrust us with more things, and usually, if I found that God stopped speaking to me, I'm not hearing his voice anymore, I'm not seeing God's power in my life, it's usually because I stopped, I didn't do the last thing he told me to do. And I want to ask you, I want to plead with you, if you've not been baptized, if you've put Jesus, your, excuse me, your faith in Jesus, and you have not been baptized in water, I want to encourage you and ask you, to go to the info desk and we'll make arrangements for you to be able to, someone to explain what it means, how it works, and why it's insignificant, but also that we would be able to do that. That has to be the outworking of that. We can't see people come forward Sunday after Sunday responding to faith, but they're never being baptized. But not just, it not, doesn't just stay there. God wants us to be filled with His Spirit as well. And I believe today God wants to, us to express that. See, friends, this same Philip, at the moment of bringing that eunuch up out of the water, he's taken away. He's like teleported. How amazing is that? You know, signs, wonders, and miracles seem to follow this guy. He was a deacon. He's a servant in the church. An ordinary person that was simply just made sure that he had a good reputation, he was filled with the Spirit, and he was putting what God had placed and taught him into practice. That doesn't sound very difficult to me. Why is it so difficult? Why don't we see these things? Because I believe we're just not trust, trusting God. We're just not obeying what he has said. But we see that he is then transported, actually like 30 miles, they say. That's a long way away to be transported. Next thing is in another place, and he begins to make his way to this next city called Caesarea. Caesarea by the sea. There's two, there's Caesarea Philippi and then Caesarea by, by the sea. And it's a beautiful reality of this city is that it was one of the, the only deep port harbors that Israel had. And King Herod the Great, the one that persecuted the, the babies at Jesus' birth, 
He was this man, obviously full of himself, but a, a great architect, someone that just built great things. They called him Herod the Great. And one of the things he built was this harbor. And that became the, 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 the meeting place. One of the, the biggest places you had to go through that port if you were doing any trade within for the east and the west to be able to link with one another. Herod the Great, who persecuted Jesus, built a city which would later on become the gateway for all of the gospel to be able to be, be experienced. Because 20 years later, after Philip now moves on into Samaria, 20 years later, he hosts someone very special in his home, a man by the name of Paul, on his way to his missionary journey. Friends, evangelism happens as we go. Whether you're on the road, we're sharing the gospel. Whether we are seated and, and rooted and established in the city, God wants you and I to be used by Him to proclaim His gospel. I love just this, this picture. Philip doesn't just stay this amazing guy that has all these like miracle signs and wonders, but he actually gets married and he has... Some daughters. It says here he had four daughters in, in Acts chapter 21, verse 8. It says, On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we, we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist. By now, he's, now, he's got the evangelist. is there now. He's the guy that, that proclaims the gospel, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And as we, you read this passage, there's so many prophetic words that came to Paul saying, listen, there's, there's all this stuff happening. The journey ahead is going to be difficult. And Paul's like, well, I'm compelled by the Spirit. I need to go. I need to continue. Friends, when you and I walk in God, we're just obedient. We're just living this ordinary life that's made extraordinary because of our faith in Jesus. We begin to see not only our faith impacting the world, but we see our children and their children and their children begin to be filled with God's presence. And as a people, friends, God, we will see joy in this city. And we already do see joy in this city. Because you and I are here. And we have a responsibility, a mandate under God. To say, God, we're going to yield ourselves wholeheartedly to you. We're not going to run after our own sort of, you know, comforts. We're not going to remain silent. We're going to open our mouths to speak. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 verse 5. All of us have been, been reading about our gifts. And Paul encourages him in this way. He says, as for you. Now, when I say that you, I'm saying you. Put your name there. You. This is what God's encouragement is to you. Be sober-minded. In other words, don't think of yourself too highly and don't also don't think of yourself less than what you should. We've been called by God. We've been empowered by Him. Be of so sober-minded. Endure suffering. Endure the challenges, the trials, some of the pushback that you get from your friends and your family members, your co-workers, because you're a follower of Jesus. Because you're not willing to take the bribe. You're not willing to, to do that. Do the work of an evangelist. In other words, be someone that proclaims the good news. And lastly, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill the plan, the purpose that God has called you to. Because that ultimately, my friends, is how we live an extraordinary life.
And God's not asking you and all of us to now come and be, be up on stage or to be some famous person. He's asking us to just be Philip. Filled with the Spirit, full of wisdom, and having a good reputation. So I want to pray for us this morning. I really last night, as many of you would know, probably my, my style and approach this morning is very different to what I usually do. But I, I just spent a couple of, just quite a while, just in prayer and worship. But like as I was trying to figure out what's my points and whatever, I just felt the Lord was saying, I need to pray. And I, I just felt like God wants to fill some of us this morning with the Spirit. Some for the first time, but many of us to refill us. The, 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 in the book of Acts, it says the disciples got together. They were being persecuted. And they prayed. They said, Lord, grant your servants boldness that we may be able to proclaim this gospel. And as they prayed that prayer, the place where they were in shook. And the Spirit fell upon them. And I believe God wants to do that in our hearts and lives today. So if you want to just receive a, an infilling of the Spirit, I want to encourage you and ask you to stand with me today. There's no, no mood being created. There's simply a, hungry and a hunger and a desire in all of us. And Lord Jesus, I know that you are powerful, that you are at work, that you are available right now. And Holy Spirit, you said that you would give and pour yourself out on anyone that would ask. So right now, Jesus, we ask you, come Holy Spirit, fall afresh upon us, Lord. Fill your people with your life and your love, Lord. Your power right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Just in your own words, in your own way, let's begin to make, bring, lift up our praise to our Jesus, our King. We worship you, Jesus. You are worthy of it all. Come and fill us, Holy Spirit. Empower us by your love and your grace, Lord. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Don't forget to check out our website or visit City on a Hill International on Instagram or Facebook for our updates, celebration times or ways you can get involved. We are also streaming our message on Facebook Live, so make sure you join us or share the post. Thanks again for checking out our podcast. We'll see you soon.